0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. The sermon's going to come from verses 9 to 16. I'm going to read uh, the previous verses to give us context. The whole book of Hebrews comes to this glorious conclusion. We get chapter 11, we have that, the whole history of all those people of faith uh, it's the Old Testament Hall of Fame. Half of those folks uh, have beautiful stories of success and victory, and the other half are martyred for their faith. But they're all included. That these are are uh, they're set out as this cloud of witnesses, the writer says, uh, that that are that are in a sense looking from above and, and watching us on our journey, and and then uh, chapter twelve talks about where this journey goes. And he makes this beautiful contrast between Mount Sinai where the law was delivered and everyone was afraid to see God. And in fact, God had told Moses, put a banner up. The people are going to want to see what I look like. And if they break through in their uncleanness, they will die. So, so put up barriers, guard them from coming up the mountain to see me. And, and the writer says, oh, oh, Hebrews that have been scattered. That's not the mountain you're going to anymore. You're going to Mount Zion. You're going to the, the beautiful city of God. And and so my thoughts are, as he closes chapter 13, it's kind of this, now what do we do as a community? Now how do we live with all of these truths? And so we've broken this chapter up into five parts. The first was this community of love, and this is what we read about in verses 1 to 3. And I said last week that this, let brotherly love continue, I think is the theme really for the rest of this chapter. How do we let brotherly love continue? How do we, who are ushered into a community of faith, how do we keep it? Because it's not easy. Holding a church together is not easy. I'm amazed at what splits churches. Choices of schools, whether whether you should wear a mask or not. All of these things, all of a sudden, become these huge issues that split churches. Um, It's not easy to love other Christians. We're a mess. Uh, And so, Uh, This is all playing out. How are we going to show loving kindness to one another? Verses 1 to 3. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. So it gives us a high picture of what the Christian love is to look like. Part two, community of contentment. That's where we talked about idolatry. As a community, we are marked by contentment. And if you weren't here, uh, or if you were, I'll reiterate. The point from that was that our contentment as Christians, especially in our culture, might be the most inviting thing to the gospel. In a culture that breeds discontentment, You're not supposed to be happy with anything that you have. Clothes change every year. Uh, Cars change every year. You're you're not not supposed to be content with anything. Um, For the Christian community, be content because uh, they are marked by the gospel and a love for one another. And so he says, let marriage be held in honor. The marriage bed undefiled. We're content with our spouse. For God will judge the sexually immoral, the adulterous. Keep your lives free from the love of money. We're not a people to be marked by that. Be content with what you have. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can be content because Christ is always with us. Part three, last week, a community of truth. Uh, Verses uh, five, uh, verses six, seven, and eight. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? Verse seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of truth. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. And then we had this creedal formula Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then we come to our text, verse 9. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Do not be led away by diverse. "...diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp." what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Christ's community must be connected at the deepest level by worship. Do you know that worship is what brings human beings together in community more than anything else? Human beings who decide to set their affection and their hope and their life direction on a thing are bound together. Case in point, my son doesn't know I'm saying this, but uh, he just moved to Birmingham, and Luke loves to play golf. It took Luke one day, and, and Luke's not a person that kind of likes talking to people. He doesn't like making small talk. If he comes here and makes small talk with you, you know, that's, he's... he's He's doing it out of kindness. <laughs> he's, he's happy. He was born an old soul. You know, I think when he was 10, he wanted slippers and a cup of coffee for Christmas. You know, so uh, Luke's, Luke's moved to Birmingham and already has three friends that he plays golf with. Met him on the golf course, exchanged phone numbers, and now they talk and they meet and they play golf in different places. Now, I wouldn't say that Luke worships golf at the expense of God Almighty. But, but it is that sense that what we set our affections on, what we love, draws people together, doesn't it? I mean, uh, I, I go fishing with other men that like to go fishing. I go hunting with other men that like to go hunting. We share stories and we build a community. We see it in sports teams. We see it when it doesn't work in a sports team. Hey, we're all a team here. We're all trying to get to one objective. And you build that camaraderie and that friendship. So worship does that. And and because Christians are first and foremost worshipers of God, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means that of all the human beings made, a Christian is a person that says, I understand what I was made for i i i was made yes to work yes to love people yes to have kids yes to i i I do all of those things but i do all of those things under the shadow of god almighty he is pleased with me to act like his son towards other human beings to act like his son when i'm a boss when i'm a waitress he is pleased with that. And so when a Christian gathers for corporate worship, this is just a small part of our life. This is, this is, the, this is the corporate, uh, we're together, we're, we're singing for each other, we're, we're reading back and forth, and, and, and our hope is that it builds. But basically what binds us is we love Jesus. And we, we, we meet to talk about Jesus. We have hope for seeing Jesus. We face problems together, and we go to Jesus with our problems. People call me, they call their elders, they call each other. We gather around when there's loss, when there's heartache, when there's fear. We gather together, and we implore Jesus. It's what we do. Worship brings people together. I know I've said this before, but one of the clearest pictures of that was one of the famous drives that John Elway made in the wild card game against Warren Moon and the Houston Oilers. We are down by three touchdowns and he came back and that last touchdown uh, where he threw that, Tammy and I are there. We're there with my brother and his wife and, and we're there watching the game live at Mile High Stadium. And all of a sudden people we don't know, we're all hugging each other. You know, It's like the object that we have cheered for, that we've had hope in, that, that we've worn clothes that signify we're connected to this person. And all of a sudden we're hugging people. We would not have hugged those people if we saw them in the grocery store. If we saw them in the grocery store, even if we were buying the same gluten-free food, we wouldn't hug each other. (laughs) But because our affections in that moment were turned to something. And so the writer here is saying, and he said it all throughout the book, Christian people, you must meet together physically often. It must be a habit. And when you meet together physically often, often you're to worship me a whole diverse group of people will be brought together by the son of god whom they love and find their identity in and their worth in and so the writer is saying you as a community yeah you have been tested tried and persecuted but you must maintain the right and true worship of god Now, it means a lot to these folks, probably more than it did to us. If you were to read Leviticus 4, and you see what the priest would have to go through when someone sinned. One of the beautiful things about Leviticus 4, and you don't know this, but Jake, every Sunday, asks me to preach on Leviticus. So you can thank me for saying no to him. (laughs) Leviticus 4 outlines what the community is to do Uh, when someone sins unintentionally. Now, even the fact that an unintentional sin matters to God is important to us, right? It it means we're to study Him. We're we're to know all about Him because even if we sin against Him and we don't know it, those sins still matter to God. Uh, Leviticus 4 outlines what you are to do and you have a sacrifice of sin and so when the writer is saying and it's kind of confusing when we're reading here that they burn these sacrifices outside the tent a sin offering was different so lots of the other offerings uh, fellowship offerings praise offerings, grain offerings uh, the priest was able to eat some of it and the worshiper was able to eat some of it and if you go to Nepal and you go to one of the temples where they still do these sacrifices to those Hindu gods, you'll see families picnicking outside the temple. And they're eating the goat, part of the goat that has just been sacrificed to Kali. And it's the same, kind of the same concept. When Kali sees the blood of this goat, then she will uh, not, not do her evil things that she has intended to do to me because we did it to the goat instead. Uh, these people, when they committed sins, intentionally or unintentionally, they would have a sin offering, and that would get burned in its entirety outside. And so that's what he is saying. They had lost that. Okay, so these Hebrews, when they became Christians, they were kicked out of their family, and they were kicked out of the temple. And, and, and again, for us, it's just different. You know, If Three Rivers closes, you'll, you know, you'll find another church to go to. Um, but for them, they were forbidden to go where their parents and grandparents and ancestors went to be made right with God. The door was closed for them. You're not allowed in here. You won't be able to partake because you are following Christ. And so again, what they had lost, the community had lost, that place was, it was, I mean, it was, uh, it, you know it was the community. It was, it was all the families together in the sacrifice and in the worship of God in that system. And so the writer here is saying you have lost that, but he doesn't say Jesus is just as good. He says, no, he's profoundly better. He's superior. In fact, you shouldn't worry what he says here. You shouldn't worry that you're not allowed into the temple. You should have compassion for those who are not admitted to the altar. And that's what he says. We have an altar. We we eat and, and when we take the Lord's Supper, we, we eat bread and we drink the cup. He says, we have something that those who serve the tent, that's how they write it, serve the tent. It's as if he's saying, you're serving an old building that doesn't do what it was designed to do anymore. It, it, doesn't, it just stood there as a picture of what was coming. Those who serve that tent, they have no right to the fullness and the richness of Christ. So that, that's what's going on. I hope that explains kind of what, what he's talking about here. Um, so this morning, we're going to look through this text quickly, what worship does, what true worship is, and then what are we to do? So first, verses 9 and 17, what does true worship do? Well, the writer here says uh, in verse 9, Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened. By grace, oh well, brothers and sisters who worship with us here, it's always my prayer that you leave this place every week strengthened by the grace of God, overwhelmed at the grace and the mercy and the love of God, strengthened by grace, he says, as opposed to what they would have these foods that really didn't benefit them ceremonial foods that had no benefits so worship strengthens us in grace worship is a celebration of grace that we're called into his presence uh, that we don't have the barrier anymore it's god's grace worship is an expectation of god's grace i will bring to him all that is wrong and broken and he will not turn away from me he will move towards me he will cleanse and he is about the business of making me beautiful and right because of his grace. Worship is freedom and celebration of God's grace. It's the little kid that runs to their dad covered in mud, knowing that dad's not going to get mad at them because they have mud, and dad's going to just delight in the fact that he gets to hold his little princess one more time. It's impossible to please God in worship without first understanding and embracing his grace. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't please our God if you don't understand and embrace His grace. You know why? Because you're, you're worshiping Him on your own terms. You know why? You're saying, God, I think I can do enough. I think I can bring enough so that the death of your son wasn't necessary on my behalf. And it's super offensive to him. It's why it's ludicrous for Christians to ever embrace some form of universalism that says there are all these different ways to God. The text says, no, there is one altar and then we, we eat from that altar through the grace and the work of Jesus Christ. True worship strengthens us by grace. He calls us to, he invites us to confess, he hears our prayer, and we leave thinking more of his grace. We'll talk about this also, but true worship also at the end, kind of bookends here at verse 17. True worship pleases God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But true worship has as its goal, when we come in on a Sunday morning, uh, our goal is, I want God to be pleased with what His son, His daughter, what, what we brought to Him. I want to I tell God all that I love and know about Him. I confess all the ways I have wronged Him. I, I want to ask Him to strengthen me again for the days ahead. What is true worship? Verses nine to sixteen. I listed a few things. It's first. It's God central. The worship of God. It centers on Him. Okay, that's why you've never gotten from me uh, a questionnaire about, hey, what do you guys want to hear sermons about? <laughs> now I talk, and you know, Hebrews. Uh, Sheffield asked me to do Hebrews, and you know, so I said yes. No to Jake, but yes to Jason. You know, it's kind of the way it goes, but um, it's God central. It's not focused on you. First and foremost, our audience here this morning and every morning is God Almighty Himself. We are called, and it's something the Protestant churches have lost. Uh, when we don't do the acolytes. I don't know if you've ever been to an Episcopal church where they come in and they have the smoke and stuff and they come walking in. And, and it's supposed to be a picture that, that God himself has now entered in our community. We, and Protestants, we don't, we don't, most of us don't do stuff like that. But, but it's that idea that, that he is central. Um, and, and because he's central, we, we go to him for how we worship. We were having a party for a young lady recently. And I asked that young lady, Hey, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's your birthday. You get to choose. It's about you. And that's what we do in worship. God, I want to learn more about you because I want to know what brings you joy. What do you love? And it's okay when we find that, that we also find joy in doing that. Those of you who have given gifts of giving, it's okay that you find great delight in giving to others, in teaching, and, in giving your gifts to Him. Um, so it's God-central. Secondly, it is spiritual. It's not just empty ritual. We don't just stand up, sit down, say certain words that we don't mean, that we don't understand. It's spiritual. And he reminds us of this all throughout the letter. He says we have a better access because we have a spiritual access to God all the time. They had to come through a temple. They had the outer court. And if they were unclean, they had to wait a certain amount of time. They had to have sacrifices and cleansing and all that. Uh, And then he couldn't go to the Holy of Holies. We have better access, he says, spiritually. When I prayed this morning for all of you and for us and for our country, for our church, we believed that we were... Our prayers were heard by God. Now again, we're so used to that. We, it's, it's common in our culture. We think anybody can just call out to God. For the Hebrews to be heard by God, there's no way. They're like, no, we have to have a mediator. We beg Moses, Moses, you talk to God. We can't talk to him. He'll wipe us out. True worship, better access, better sacrifice... We have a better sacrifice than they had. We have a spiritual sacrifice that lives forever. We have a better basis. The writers talked about that. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes sprinkled. They don't, they don't cleanse the, the conscience. We have the blood of Jesus. And we've already talked about this too. A better city. We're going to the city of Zion, not Sinai. We have a true worship is also Physical. They were instructed to meet together. There are so many things in the New Testament that assume a church organized, that a church had structure, that a church had rulers, and we'll see that next week when he talks about uh, accountability and structure. But also, they were physically to meet together. It's okay to watch videos when that's all we can do because of a pandemic, but we are instructed physically in all our abilities to meet together verse 15 a sacrifice of praise singing talking giving continual it even says fruit of the lips we are to talk and sing now i don't like it that the bacon's moved over there i used to like the bacon sitting right there so i could hear sam sing and it was always wonderful I don't know if Sam still belts it out or not, but I love hearing Sam sing. It's the fruit of the lips. It benefits all of us. I love my kids growing up in church and knowing 85-year-olds when they were little. Luke would have coffee with some of his old buddies. Sharing life together, physically together. He says an unashamed witness speaking boldly. the truths concerning our God and a sacrifice of service doing good to others if we're not in a church how can we do good to others and how can we do good to others that is lasting and gives God glory we draw close to one another and we help our brothers and our sisters in need Lastly, what are we to do in worship? Well, verses 13 to 16, give real specific instructions. Again, as the community. And it's really simple. He says, go to Him, go through Him, and go for Him. First, go to Him. Verses 13 and 14. It says, therefore, let us go to Him outside the wall, outside the tent, outside the shadow. Let's go to Him. Let's bear the disgrace that He bore. We go to Him. Him In worship, we move towards our Savior. Verse 15, we go through Him. Through Him, therefore, it says, all worship is mediated. He is our high priest. We approach God through Him and we go for Him. We join together because it brings our God delight. A couple weeks ago, all my kids... Spouses, significant others, grandchild. We all got together under one roof. And that first night, I mean, I I couldn't talk. I just looked at them. I was filled with gratitude, thankfulness. That They don't hate each other. (laughs) That we all got to be together sharing things that we enjoy and love. And every time that happens in that moment, I think, how much greater is God the Father's love overseeing his children brought together. He delights in it. I don't know any parent in the history of parenting that enjoyed watching their kids fight. If they are, they're sick and their kids need to be taken from them. I'm not talking wrestling, boys wrestle all the time, okay? I mean, there's not a parent in the world that says, oh, I can't wait to get home. I'm hoping that my kids will fight today. I told you what my mom would always ask for her birthday, right? My mom, every birthday. Mom, what do you want for your birthday? I want you two kids to love each other and be kind. (laughs) Can I buy you something? (laughs) That's impossible. But our God loves it when we are together with him. It says, worship like this is pleasing to God. It makes him delighted in conclusion, I want to read this, chap, this verse from Revelation. So, Revelation gives us the, the picture <clears throat> of the end of the new heavens and the new earth, and the new city of Jerusalem comes down, and God dwells with his people, and we are with him. And uh, so the Bible's full of it, not just in Revelation, but full of pictures. And one of the things that, uh, that the Bible talks about is, is the extreme amount of diversity that will be there. Uh, We won't all be just uh, a melding of one color or one language, but um, all nations and tribes. Even in Isaiah, he talks about Assyria and Egypt coming as his people. Revelation 21 says that John sees this. I saw no temple in the city. There was no temple um, because it wasn't necessary. God himself is there. Christ's work is done and complete. There is no temple, he says, in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you delight in calling a people who are much different from each other, people that wouldn't get along maybe in other circles. And yet at the realization of the power of your gospel and grace, we are brought together as brothers and sisters, and we sacrifice for one another, and we bear for one another, and we don't keep tabs with one another. And we realize that in so doing, we are bringing you great delight. We pray, Lord, that our community be strengthened by worship, that our bonds would far exceed political, language, race. Our bonds would be so deeply entwined in the love of Christ that you would be pleased, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.